0: In Sudan, there was a coup which has brought political turmoil leading to the suspension of the country from the African Union and has drawn condemnation from the international community.
1: In Belarus, a targeted campaign operated by President Lukashenko created an inflow of migrants from the Middle East who reached the country with the hope of an easy passage to Europe. This created pressure on Belarus's border with Europe, especially on the Polish side, in an attempt to push the EU to suspend previously imposed economic sanctions.
0: And in Ethiopia, the civil war has taken another turn, with Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed imposing a state of emergency and the Ethiopian authorities targeting Tigrians accused of supporting the rebel forces.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of the Human Rights Pulse News Briefing, where every other week we address some of the biggest human rights news and events. I'm Laura.
0: And I'm Nigel. The military in Sudan seized power on the 25th of October, arguing that the political infighting within the transitional government led to the intervention. The transitional government made up of the military and civilians was set up in 2019, when Sudan's longtime ruler Omar Bashir was pushed out of power. The military leader of the transitional government, General Abdul Fattah Burhan, was supposed to end over power to the civilian government led by Prime Minister Abdullah Amdok at the end of this year, but he reneged on the agreement, instead, arresting the Prime Minister and other senior government officials.
1: Internet and communications have been shut down until just a few days ago, in many cases creating a lack of information useful to assess the situation on the ground. After a month of house arrest, Prime Minister Hamdok has been released and appeared on TV to address the nation, communicating the signature of an agreement with the military forces that will see him reinstated in his position as part of the plan for a democratic transition that had actually been in place since 2019. According to Vox and Egyptian media outlet Ahram Online, the agreement features 14 points, which include the formation of a non-partisan technocratic transition cabinet, the liberation of all ministers and politicians arrested since October the 25th, and a transparent investigation into the deaths caused by the military since the coup. The content of this agreement remains unknown, making it impossible to anticipate what role the military will reserve for itself in this transition.
0: Yeah, the situation in Sudan also highlights a worrying trend in African countries where telecommunication companies defy court orders to restore internet connection, hereby impacting people's freedom of expression. Meanwhile, thousands demonstrated in the streets of Kapitokatorun to protest the coup, but on the 17th of November, security forces opened fire on some of them, killing 15 people, bringing the total of dead people to 39 since the 25th October coup. The reason cited by civil society group for the general's change of heart is the International Criminal Court Investigation of Sudan's former President Omar o. bashir for crimes against humanity and war crimes, of which top military officers are also implicated, including General Buran. Additionally, the military is accused of killing protesters in 2019 in a series of demonstrations which sought to push Bashir out. General Buran is also implicated in these atrocities, and therefore the understanding is that once power is handed over to a civilian government, the general might be prosecuted for these crimes as well.
1: Soon after the coup, the international arena turned its attention to the African country, with states and organizations releasing statements in which they expressed their alarm and condemnation for the authoritarian turn taken by al burhan Among these, the Arab League, the African Union, the US, the EU, and the UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres. Many challenges seem to still be ahead of Sudan's transition into democracy, On the one hand, the recent developments have not convinced many observers, who highlight a lack of logic and reason behind the Prime Minister's recent action. On the other hand, it's also important to note that the formal reinstatement of Hamdok is not changing the situation on the ground, where violations to people's human rights are still ongoing. And another relevant point to observe is that once-popular Hamdok will likely come out of the situation with less popularity, putting him in a more difficult and delicate position in the process of a democratic transition.
0: The UN Human Rights Office has condemned the killings and the persecutions of journalists, stating that journalists have been arbitrarily arrested, attacked while reporting, and yet their homes and offices raided by security forces. The African Union has suspended Sudan from the bloc, stating that the suspension will be in place until the civilian government is restored. The EU stated that they were concerned with the situation in Sudan and condemned the crackdown of of protesters and journalists, while the US stated that it will be suspending the $700 million emergency economic aid to Sudan that had been allocated to help the transition. The World Bank has also suspended aid to Sudan France also stated that the military coup put into doubt France cancelling some $5 billion debt it was owed by Sudan.
1: And if the situation in Sudan remains unclear as for the way in which its future will unfold, the destabilization of the country might be both an indicator and a catalyst for broader trends of democratic backsliding in Africa. This is not, in fact, the first time we report on coups or internal struggles in the region which in the past year has seen a great deal of instability and quite a few steps back from a general progression towards more accountable and democratic governments now what can become worrying is that sudan to some extent represented a somewhat stable spot in a rather turbulent area with neighbouring countries like Chad, Eritrea and Ethiopia currently engaged in conflict. So a tangible risk would now be for this crisis to create a further shake-up for the area, which can only result in worsening conditions for the people.
0: Now we move on to another development, which in the past week has seen a new and unprecedented wave of migrant crisis unfold at the European border with Belarus. There's been an exodus of refugees from the Middle East towards Eastern Europe, as a result of the policies by the Belarus government to bring in immigrants and deploy them towards the EU border, in retaliation towards sanctions imposed on the country by the EU and the US, as a result of the disputed 2020 presidential elections.
1: Yes, precisely. Basically, since last August, the country has been relaxing its visa rules while also raising the number of flights from Iraq on state-owned airlines, exponentially increasing the influx of travelers from the Middle East. As reported from Iraq, travel agencies have been specifically selling travel packages, which included plane tickets, visas with prices skyrocketing from the usual $90 average to over $1,000 and accommodation for their passage through a third country, all for the price of $3,500 and with around 100 packages being sold on a weekly basis. This had a serious effect on the number of people that have reached Belarus in the past month, hoping to get their way into Europe as they had been somewhat promised by smugglers, who demanded another $3,000 fare for their services. Once they arrived on Belarusian soil, the immigrants were diverted towards the country's borders with Latvia, Lithuania, and especially Poland, with military personnel actively participating in the activities.
0: Belarus has been accused of using immigrants as a weapon against the EU, luring them into the country and pushing them towards the EU border, in an allegation that Lukashenko denies. The treatment of immigrants by the EU countries also shows how the bloc is willing to violate international human rights law whenever they feel under threat. Anti-immigrant sentiment has been spreading throughout Europe, with countries like Denmark seeking to deport Syrian refugees, facing death and torture back in Syria. According to the 2017 Special EU Barometer Survey, 38% of Europeans think that immigration from outside the EU is more of a problem than an opportunity. This has laid the inhumane treatment of immigrants in European countries, including those along the Belarus-Polish border.
1: Exactly, and in this case, the situation soon turned into an actual humanitarian crisis given the conditions that people were forced to endure. Days of walking across forests, sleeping outside without repair from the cold temperatures of Belarus. A 14-year-old boy was reportedly found frozen to death near the border, with a count of at least nine deaths on the Polish side. No estimates of victims have instead been provided from Belarus so far, but the country has at least mobilized to transport some of the migrants that were living in tents and camps to shelters, providing some primary assistance. Since mid-November, pressure has in fact eased a little, bringing some relief to a situation that has started to look desperate.
0: EU leaders in response have agreed to impose further sanctions on Belarus. The new set of sanctions will target Belarusian airline, Belavia. The EU will be ending its leasing contract with the company, as well as travel agencies are expected to be sanctioned if they help to fly immigrants from the Middle East and elsewhere in Minsk. The United States has also vowed to issue fresh sanctions against Belarus. On the other hand, the German Chancellor Angela Merkel spoke to President Lukashenko on the phone to provide humanitarian aid to, to immigrants along the border. Poland has, however, responded to the immigrants' crisis through pushbacks and argues that this is necessary to stop more people from coming.
1: What well, we have seen unfold here is the emergence of a new, and not even that new really, form of weaponization of migratory routes. Actually, the creation of a brand new migratory route, although a dead-end one. And If we want to analyze this from a different angle, so leaving geopolitics aside for a moment, this is a weaponization of people's despair and necessity to hope for a better life, to retaliate on Europe's stance against Belarus' latest elections, as you said, which were never accepted as legitimate, and for imposing sanctions after repeated provocations from Lukashenko. You will remember the case of a dissident journalist earlier this year who was arrested on a plane during a flight between two EU capitals which was diverted from its route and forced to land in Minsk. Reporting from Iraq has highlighted how many people were and as always in similar cases desperate to live a situation in which they saw no future, no job opportunities, no respect for their human rights, seeking a way out by paying thousands of dollars in non-refundable tickets taking out loans with family members, selling their houses and their possessions, now finding themselves stranded on a border in another country that disregards human rights to the point of weaponizing them to this extent.
0: On the 18th of November, the Iraqi government sent a flight to return 341 Iraqi immigrants on a voluntary basis and continues to appeal to Iraqi citizens to come back home. The Council of Europe Human Rights Commissioner demanded an end to Poland's controversial returns of migrants to Belarus. Pushback of immigrants are illegal under international law as they violate the principle of non-reformment. However, proponents of pushbacks regularly argue that it is not illegal provided that the migrants are pushed towards a safe third country. The tricky situation arises where the third country returns asylum seekers back to their home country where they could face danger, as in this case with immigrants along the Polish-Belarus border.
1: During confrontation and diplomatic back-and-forth, eyes have turned to Vladimir Putin, who shares a somewhat conflicting relation with the Belarusian leader. First of all, as Europe threatened further sanctions on Belarus for the ongoing crisis, Lukashenko clapped back with the menace of cutting gas supplies to European clients. Gas that, however, is not under his jurisdiction and actually belongs to Russia, and just transit through Belarus. Russia was quick to deny threats of such things taking place, but Putin has not backed off from sustaining Lukashenko's regime. The two autocrats are in fact necessary to each other, but the continuous pushing the limit strategy adopted by Belarus is threatening to drag Russia into a crisis it never wanted in the first place and many are now starting to wonder if the price to pay for backing Lukashenko is not becoming a little too high for Russia, especially since the country seems to be ready to flex its muscles close to an open wound. Over 100,000 Russian soldiers were reportedly moved into the border with Ukraine, especially in the past weeks, and Kyiv is now fearing a military escalation to take place this winter for a Russian invasion that has long been feared, and not only by Ukraine. The US and NATO representatives have, in fact, been quick to respond to the provocation. Especially the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, warned Moscow not to make the mistake of escalating confrontations with Ukraine in a scenario that many see as a way for Putin to test the Biden administration.
0: Although NATO has affirmed its support for Ukraine in response to the Russian threat, Human Rights Watch has reported human rights abuses in the armed conflict in eastern Ukraine such as arbitrary and incommunicado detentions and the use of torture. In its bid to contain the Russian threat, Ukraine has been accused of violating the rights of its own citizens. For instance, Human Rights Watch reports that Ukraine authorities required people entering from non-government controlled areas to install a smartphone application to monitor compliance with COVID-19 restrictions, which in turn is used for surveillance purposes. It is this disregard for human rights in response to support the threats that has led to the inhumane treatment of immigrants along the Polish-Belarus border.
1: Yeah, but coming back to our original topic, in fact, um, what we can certainly say is that in the midst of confrontation between ten and 20,000 migrants are believed to have reached Belarus border with the EU and whatever solution to the crisis will be attempted will not be an easy and quick one which will inflict more pain to these people used as chess pawns in a game of leverage and retaliation.
0: Moving on to Ethiopia, the government declared a state of emergency on the 2nd of November, after the Tigrayan forces captured two major cities and were said to be advancing towards the capital Addis Ababa. The Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed has called on the citizens in Addis Ababa to prepare to defend the city and ask those in possession of weapons to have them registered. Additionally, the country's justice minister stated that any Ethiopian above the age of 18 could be called to fight. However, the increasing volatile situation, there have been reported human rights violations from both the government and the Tigrayan forces by the UN Human Rights Office, which stated that there could have been commission of war crimes and crimes against humanity in the Tigray region. A report released by the UN Human Rights Office uncovered numerous violations and abuses, including unlawful killings and extrajudicial executions, torture, sexual and gender based violence, as well as violations against refugee rights.
1: Just in the first two months of the conflict, over 56,000 Tigrayans fled to Sudan. As of June 2021, thousands had lost their lives, and uh, over 350,000 were living in famine conditions. The UN Population Fund has estimated that over 22,000 women and girls have been victims of sexual abuse during the conflict, requiring medical care. Also, bombings have targeted the capital of Tigray, Mekele, causing casualties among civilians, including infants, women and children. Structures and systems, including healthcare, are falling apart in the region, with reported killings of humanitarian workers and harassment of journalists.
0: Yeah, the state of emergency gives the prime minister sweeping powers to arrest and detain critics, impose curfews, and restrict press freedoms. The Ethiopian government has also been targeting ethnic Tigrayans who are accused of supporting the rebel forces. It is reported that the government forces went from house to house conducting searches and arbitrary arrests. Ethnic Tigrayans were targeted based on their identity cards or language, and this has raised concern of ethnic-motivated violence. The UN Human Rights Office cited reports that authorities in Ethiopia have detained at least 1,000 people, most of them of Tigrayan origin, under the state of emergency powers. But Laura, before we look at how the international community has responded to these human rights violations, I think it's important to give our audience an overview of the conflict in Ethiopia for those who might not be aware. What is the root cause? How it started and why are we here?
1: Yeah, of course. So the practical conflict between the government of Abiy Ahmed and the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, also known as the TPLF, broke out about a year ago after the rebel group carried out unauthorized elections in the Tigray region despite a strong opposition of the prime minister. But if that was the catalyst of major confrontation, tensions between the two sides had been boiling over for quite some time. The TPLF had been ruling over the country for about three decades, with uh, now Prime Minister Ahmed being a member of their government actually. But tables turned in 2018 when Ahmed took office and became determined to neutralise the rebel group, which in the meantime had retreated to its northern province of origin. Tensions grew among provocations and cuts to funding for the region, which then led to the launch of a military offensive by the government on November 4, 2020, and to the violent escalation that we have seen unfold in the past months.
0: The international community has its eyes on the country, with the African Union's former chairperson, Cyril Ramaphosa, appointing former President Joaquim Chisano of Mozambique, Elon Johnson-Salif of Liberia, and katlema Motlanti of South Africa, as special envoys to seek a ceasefire and start mediation talks. However, the Ethiopian government rebuffed the EU's effort, and the Kenyan president, Uru Kenyatta, has also called on the warring factions to stop hostilities and state in dialogue. The US and the EU have sent a series of envoys to secure a cessation of hostilities and bring warring sides to the table. Jeffrey Fortman, US envoy to Ethiopia, said that the depending conflict could have disastrous consequences for its ties to the US. The Biden administration said that it would revoke trade privileges with Ethiopia, citing human rights violations. The U.S. Embassy in Ethiopia has urged its citizens to depart now using commercially available options, adding that the embassy is unlikely to be able to assist U.S. citizens with departure if commercial options become unavailable. The EU has been more pronounced on the situation, calling for the cessation of hostilities and engagement in political negotiations without preconditions as well as the full and immediate withdrawal of Eritrean troops from Ethiopia's territory. The EU said that it is ready to impose sanctions so that Ethiopia adheres to human rights. China has criticized the threat of imposition of sanctions, stating that the country has the ability to resolve its own issues without interference.
1: While talks go on and people get no peace, the world is looking over another humanitarian crisis, one of the worst ones. Prime Minister Ahmed has imposed a de facto humanitarian blockade on the country, which has significantly worsened the situation of its people, now having to face a horrifying famine that pairs up with the destruction and displacement caused by the violent conflict. As for the other cases we discussed today, this is just another example of the collateral damage governments around the world are willing to accept for their power leading towards terrible sufferings and death the very population they swore to protect. And the reason why it is important to remind ourselves the human dimension of conflict and geopolitical struggles is that too often the pain and the lives of people just aren't given enough attention and enough respect. And as the world gets more and more numb to the rising numbers of victims, the consequences of war, the downside of sometimes ineffective diplomacy, it is important to bring those numbers and those people back at the forefront of discussion, right where there should be. This is all for today's episode. Thank you for listening.
0: If you found this interesting, please do share it on your social media and remember to tag us.
1: If you want more of this content, visit our website at humanrightspulse.com and check out all of our colleagues' amazing work. And if you have any feedback or stories you would like to hear on our next episode, then get in touch.
0: Take care and until next time.